Well, good morning, everybody. So, uh, do you ever get the opportunity to go to Israel? Have any of you ever been to Israel before? Me neither. But if you ever go, you ought to take a chance to take a side trip to see the Dead Sea. It's a beautiful place, I understand. Uh, one of the more beautiful and unusual places in the world. Do you know why it's called the Dead Sea? It is called the Dead Sea for a reason. You know why? Because it's dead. If, if you were to go stand on the seashore of the Dead Sea, it's like the lowest place on earth you can stand on the ground. It's 1,400 feet below sea level. It is nine times saltier than the ocean. Do we have a picture of it, actually? I think we do. Check that out. The Dead Sea, it's like saltier than all belief. It's so salty, no fish live there. You'll never see somebody out on the Dead Sea going, oh, I got a big one. Can you imagine doing a, a, a cannonball in the Dead Sea? People don't do that. There's like no wave runners out there. Nobody is jet skiing out there. There's nothing because it's just... It's full of salt and it's dead. And, uh, but people do go there, and I'd encourage you to go at least once in your lifetime. It's a great place for tourists. The tour buses come in. People go off. They get off the bus. They change into their swimming suits. They go out, and they go swimming in it. It's an experience, I understand, because there's so much mineral content in the water. You can't really drown. You kind of just bob on top of the water. Can you imagine doing a cannonball into that? You just, like, <laughs> skip across the surface of the water if you did. So it's, it's fun. Everybody gets in until everybody gets out and realizes, I have just turned myself into a human pretzel. You've you know, you got salt in every nook and cranny of your body that's going to take two days to get rid of, and your skin's all irritated from it. You know why the Dead Sea is dead? It's interesting. There is fresh water flowing into the Dead Sea. The Jordan River empties into it. It's fresh water. There's tributaries that come into it. So there's all kinds of good water. Why is the Dead Sea dead? Well, it's like a dead end. All the water comes in, but there's no outflow. And it's like, as I said, it's in this 1,400 feet below sea level. It's in the desert. It's like in this oven. So the water comes in, it evaporates, it leaves all the mineral content, and it just gets saltier and saltier. There's no outflow, and it's dead. And you look at that, and some people are like that. They're like the Dead Sea. And, and like there's like all these blessings that flow into their life and good things that people do for them and good things that God does for them, but there's never any outflow. And so they just become this... Me, me, me person. They take, take, take. Do you know anybody like that? Do you have to work with somebody like that? Or do you, maybe you're related to somebody like that who's a big mooch and they take, take, take and they never give. Do you ever wake up in the morning, look in the mirror and go, oh, there's a Dead Sea person right there. You ever feel like that? I experienced this. I saw this actually in the paper last month. It made me so proud to be a pastor. Sarcasm fully intended. It was a St. Louis story that actually made national news. Here's the headline. Pastor stiffs Applebee's server, uses tithing as excuse, gets server fired. Way to go, St. Louis, right? It was like a group of pastors. They got together. There were more than eight in the group, so like the mandatory tip kicked in. And this pastor was upset because the 18% tip is on there. She's like, she wrote this little note. We've actually got the actual receipt up on the screen. She wrote, "Why I give God 10%. Why should I give you 18%? I think, great, way to go. Way to represent God there. It's not the server's fault. I mean, I don't like mandatory tips either. I like to choose to be generous, but I don't want anybody thinking of me as like that parsimonious, stingy pastor. I don't want anybody to think of me as a Dead Sea person. And that's all she's done. She's gotten St. Louis on the map for us being stingy people. Do you know anybody like that who's a Dead Sea person? Who just takes and takes and God's blessings flow into their life, your blessings flow, and they just don't give? See, the alternative to that is to be a, a river that gives life and brings good things into people's lives. And the things that you receive, you take them to other people. It's like what the Proverbs said. Proverbs 11.25 said, the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others, who become a river, they themselves will be refreshed. So there's this pattern of I receive, but then I give. And it refreshes me just as much as, 
uh, refreshes the people that I give to. So the challenge for all of us personally who are hearing this is to say, what kind of person am I? Am I a taker? Just receive, receive, receive and never give? Or am I more like a river where the blessings come in and the blessings flow out? What kind of person in my life am I? The challenge is for us as a church as well. Are we a church that will just receive, 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 take, 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 but never give? Or will we be a river to our community and to our world that says, we're here for something bigger than just us. We're not going to be Dead Sea Church that just takes and never gives. That's why we're in the midst of a prayerful time of discovery in this new season of our church's life. Through Cannonball, what we're trying to explore is, what is it that God wants us to do with what he's blessed us with? He's put our church here for a reason. Our family church family is here for a reason what is it what has God given us that he wants us to in turn use to refresh other people with he's given us salvation how do we get the word out about Jesus Christ to other people so we're in this time of praying and I guarantee you if you will engage in this time personally and you won't just sit here and check out but if you will engage in this time over the next three or four weeks you will look back on this and say this was a time that I grew closer to God like no other because I went all in in so many ways I look at this and say there, there will be a time that we will look back in the life of Connection Christian Church and say there will be people who are in heaven for all of eternity because of what we chose to do right now. That important. Will we be a Dead Sea church or will we be a church that gives? So over the next two years, we've been talking about some of our goals and objectives that we've got as a church that we believe God has given us to say, here's how we're going to be a river to our community and to our world. First thing, we're looking at our children's ministry and we're realizing it's getting really crowded down there. As I said, we can tell people, stop having babies. We can tell our community, you're not welcome here if you have children. Or we can just add Theater 9 and make more room. I think we need to do that. How about you? So by the end of April, we need to get that theater open. How about this? We need to tell our community that we're here. We need to get a ministry center open by the end of the summer that says to our community, we're here for good, we're here for you. We need to serve and invite our local community through things like the cancer ministry that's just, again, taking off. We've got the, the idea for a car care clinic, maybe for widows and for single moms, whatever shape that takes. That's something we could get behind. Here in October, Serve St. Louis Day, working at Prairie Days and Darden Prairie Days. Uh, getting the word out to our community through advertising, for lack of a better word, to say we're here and we would love for you to be part of this church family if you don't have one. We would love to help you connect to God and to, to other people through Jesus Christ because we're here for you. And we don't even want to be a, a church that just blesses our local area. We want to be a river that's globally impacting. We want to partner with missionaries all over the world who are sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, like Paul and Stacy Leonard, who are moving to Turkey next, uh, next month. Actually, at the end of this month. It's March now, isn't it? So they're going to be moving to Turkey in just a few weeks. And they'll actually be here next week, so you can see them again, and you can talk to them. You can ask them about what their plans are. And so we want to partner with people like them who are getting the word out. And beyond that, we want to make an impact for years to come. We want to tell our community, we are here for you for the long term. Doing the theater thing works for now, but we really need a place of our own. So by two springs from now, we want to be standing on the property that we have purchased, praying for the place where we're going to build our building. That's what we believe the Lord has put in our hearts to do. That's how we want to go from being, and I don't think we ever were, but we don't want to be a Dead Sea church. We want to be a river church that reaches out with what God's blessed us with to bless other people. And is that a huge goal? Absolutely. We've calculated it out over the next two years, including our operating budget and all these objectives and buying property. We believe it's going to take about two or take $1 million over the next two years. So big goal, big cannonball-sized goal. But we believe that you know, we'll just do our best and trust God for the rest of it. 
We believe that it's bold, but if we all go all in, it can happen. And it's a risk, yeah. But I like what Rick actually said. He's a pastor. He said, you can choose the path that demands no faith, no risk, no sacrifice, but no one goes to see a movie called Mission Not So Difficult. Right? Isn't that true? So what we've been doing is we've just been trying to sketch out an outline of what it could look like for us to be a generous church. And this morning I want to look at uh, some biblical teaching on generosity. And to do that, I want to invite you to go to the book of 2 Corinthians. It's actually a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to some friends of his in a church he started in the city of Corinth. And we're going to dive into the middle of what he's saying to them, but he's sketching out the shape of generosity for his friends, and he does it for us too, if we'll just pay attention to what he's saying. I'm going to start reading in verse 7. This will be up on the screen as well. He says, Just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Now, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. I know you may have never read this before or heard this before or paid attention to this before, but when you look at this, doesn't it sound like he's maybe challenging them to be generous people? Now if you step back and just look at the bigger context, you realize that is what is happening. If you look, for example, just at the whole thing of chapter 8, chapter 9, Paul is challenging the Corinthians to be generous financially. What's happening is, Back in Judea, in Jerusalem and Judea and Israel, it's the equivalent of the, the Kansas Dust Bowl, only it's in the first century. There's this huge famine going on in Israel. And so Paul, on his missionary journeys, as he's going throughout the rest of the world, he's, he's talking to everybody and saying, we got to care about those Christians back in Jerusalem who are starving. We need to send some relief to them. So he's talking to people like the Corinthians, saying, hey, can you support them? That's where the church started. This is where Jesus grew up and where he was crucified and raised from the dead. We need to help these Christians out. And then he kind of, if you, again, look at the bigger context, he's kind of trying to goad them into doing something. He said, you guys, you started taking up a collection last year, and you did really good. You got off to a great start. But you kind of dropped the ball. And now even the Macedonians are beating you. You're in a little rivalry there. They're in Greece and Corinth. The Macedonians were like the first century equivalent of the back woods of East Tennessee. The mountains of West Virginia. The Macedonians are dirt poor. And he's going like, even the dirt poor Macedonians are doing better in you than you in this thing of giving. So come on, guys. Let's do this. This is important. And so as he talks to them and as he challenges them and says, come on, let's not be Dead Sea people. Let's be a river. He shapes out what generosity looks like. And if you want to write this down in your program, you can. The first thing he teaches about generosity is that the goal is to excel. When you give, the goal is to excel. You look at verse 7 again. He says, you guys are good at so much. You excel in everything like faith and speech and knowledge, complete earnestness. You excel in love. Why don't you start learning to excel in giving? You guys put some effort into giving the way you put effort into being intelligent and the way you put your efforts into loving other people and, and in knowledge and insight. Corinthians, do this. I wonder if the Apostle Paul were to come to America today and talk to the American church at large what he would say to us. Not just as a connection, but just to Americans. With the Apostle Paulicus and go, you guys are really good at a lot. You guys excel at sports. But you're not so good at generosity. You guys are really good at Call of Duty 4. But you're not that good at giving. You guys are really good at, you know, uh, Facebook and computer stuff and literacy. And, and then you guys are awesome at eating. And you guys excel at um, watching football. 
but you don't really excel at giving, by and large, in America. I wonder if what the, the Apostle Paul would say to us here at Connection. Because honestly, all of us, every single one of us, if I, if I ask you enough questions, I'll find all of us excel at something. All of us put effort into excelling at something. Maybe even like making sure you get through your Netflix queue. But you excel at something, right? The Apostle Paul would say to all of us, why don't you excel at generosity? Put some effort into that. And I actually, uh, maybe I'm prejudiced or biased, I think Con- Connection Christian Church is pretty good at being generous. But what would it be like if as good as we are at being generous, we put effort into excelling in generosity over the next two years? What could our church family together do if we really put our effort behind this cannonball initiative and said, we think that we can do this? Now, in the next verse, Paul says this, starting out in verse 8, he says, now I'm not commanding you. I'm not commanding you about this. And, And what he's saying here is, I can't force you to be a generous person. You, know, you can't manipulate someone into being generous. It doesn't work that way. If you're ever in a situation where someone is trying to use guilt or manipulation or force to make you be generous, you ought to leave. That's not appropriate. The Apostle Paul saying, like, you know what? I'm not commanding you to give because it doesn't work that way. The Lord doesn't lead you to do that. In fact, he goes on in verse 7 of chapter 9. He says this, Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, For God loves a cheerful giver. If you have to force someone to be generous, are they being generous? No. If if you have to do it with your arm twisted, that's not generosity. It's the opposite of it. It's not guilt that makes you give. Paul says it's something else. He says in verse 8 here, I'm not commanding you. I want to test the sincerity of your love. If you want to talk about what motivates generosity, it's not guilt. It's not pressure. It's not coercion. It's love. Love is the motivator of our generosity. Which then begs the question, Love of what or love of whom? Maybe Paul's talking about your love of Jesus. You know, like if you really love God, you'll give. I don't know. I mean, it's true. If you love God, you'll be generous, but I don't know if that's what he's talking about. Maybe he's saying like if you, I don't know, if you love me. I mean, I'm the guy who planted your church. You know about Jesus because of me. Maybe if you love me, you'll give to my pet project here to help the Christians in Jerusalem. I don't think that's it either, though. I think really what Paul is saying is, If you love these Christians in Jerusalem who are going to die, who are not going to get food and water unless you give, if if you really love them, then you'll give. I really think that's the the motivation for generosity. If you love people, you're going to be moved to do something for them. If you love your children, you're generous towards your children. If you love other people who are far from God, you will be generous because you want to see them come closer to God. The motivation for generosity is loving your heart for other people. So here's why I would tell you this. If you're praying, God, give me more money so I can be more generous, you're probably praying the wrong prayer. What you maybe want to pray is, Lord, help me love people more. Because when you love people, you can't help but be generous because you care about the situation they're in and you want to do something to help. So you should be praying that instead of like, Lord, help me be a more generous person. Just pray the prayer, Lord, help me be a more loving person. The generosity will naturally follow. When you look at people who are far from God and you think, is there anything I can do about this? Love kicks in and love motivates. So our our motivator is love. Our goal is to excel. But then our example for generosity is Jesus himself. What Paul said in verse 9, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, so that you might through his poverty become rich. Our example in generosity is Jesus, but I do have a question for you. 
at what point in Jesus' life did he go from being rich to being poor? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't he born in a barn? Weren't his parents dirt poor? You know, his mom Mary and his adoptive father Joseph, weren't they poor people? The answer to that is yes. Jesus was born poor. When he was 30 years old, he began his preaching and teaching ministry. He was flat broke. Some guy came up to him and said, Jesus, can I follow you? And Jesus was like, you just need to know, dude, I'm homeless. I don't have a home of my own. For three years, he didn't. He lived off the generosity of other people as he preached and teach. So at what point did Jesus go from being rich to being poor? Well, here's where Jesus is different than all of us. My life began when my parents conceived me. Right? Same thing for you. Your life and your existence began when your parents had you. Jesus is different than anyone else in that regard. Did Jesus exist before he was born? Absolutely. It says in Philippians 2 that Jesus was in very nature God. No one else like Jesus ever before or ever since. He was completely human, just as much a man as I am, and yet he was also completely God. He was before all things at the beginning of creation. He was already there. There is no beginning point for Jesus. He is God, and so he has always existed. And yet Philippians 2 tells us that even though he was in very nature God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped or something to hold on to, like, I will never give this up. But the Bible says that Jesus humbled himself and he emptied himself of all the the glory, the majesty, the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present God in heaven, and he emptied himself of all of that to humble himself and become a person. And then he humbled himself more. Being found in appearance as a human, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, a death that he didn't deserve. So many ways Jesus impoverished himself. But then Philippians goes on and says that it didn't stop there. Everything he gave up, God gave him back. God exalted him to the highest heavens, gave him a name that's above every name that the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow on on earth and under the earth and in heaven, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Christ as Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus looked at us and said, if the only way for them to be forgiven of their sins is for me to do this, I'll do this. If the only way for them to be with us and our family for eternity, God says, is for me to go there and become one of them, I will humble myself. It wasn't some 30-minute helicopter ride in. Yeah, things are bad there. Now I can say I've been there. I'm gone. He spent 33 years here being forever after Jesus will be a human being. He humbled himself to do that for us. And so Paul says, look, the motivation for love is love. The example is Jesus Christ. He loved us so much that he gave his life for us. Can we in turn do that for other people so that they also can become rich in God? So I look at this, and I look at the generosity of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I look at everything that he did for us, and I look at the fact that he just simply calls on us to follow his example. That if we call ourselves his followers, that we will be generous like he was generous. That we will look to people who are far from God and invite them to come closer to God. That we will go all in with everything we have and everything we are to move people closer to God. And I look at it, and I know that when we talk about generosity for some of you, that's like, it's easy. You're just born generous. In fact, you kind of have the problem of being too generous. You know, you like it sometimes you gotta go put the brakes on. My heart leads me to do more than I even should sometimes. And and yet you sometimes there are many of us who go, I wish I was like that. I wish I was a generous person, but it's really hard for me because I'm not. I like my stuff and I like to hold on to it. What can we all do to become a more generous person? 
I want to kind of give you an idea of some things that we can do to work toward that. Because excelling in the area of generosity does take some work, but you can do it. Where do you start? There's an old Chinese proverb. It says, the longest journey begins with the first step. Well, I want to give you four steps that can move us all toward generosity this morning. And I would encourage you, as I talk about these, start where you're at. Don't look at step four and go, oh, my God. That's like sitting down your first day of algebra class, going to the very last chapter. Don't do that. Oh, my gosh, how am I going to do this? You start at the first step. At the end of the school year, you're going to look at the algebra at the end of the book and go, this is easy. You're going to look at the stuff you did on day one and go, like, oh, that was, why didn't we even bother with that? Same way here. Don't look at step four if you're at step one. Just start where you're at in being a more generous person. And it starts in this area. If you want to excel in the grace of giving, your first step would be just to become a first-time giver. If you've never given before, just be a first-time giver. I like how John Rockefeller put it, John D. Rockefeller, who's the f- in modern history the first person to become a billionaire with a B. He's a very generous person, gave away millions of dollars, which again in, in our current economy would actually be billions of dollars. He's like the Bill Gates of his era. John D. Rockefeller, somebody asked him, how have you been able to give away so much money? And he said, I could never have given away millions of dollars unless I'd given away my first dollar. He's saying, the hardest thing for me to do is to choose to become a generous person to begin with. After that, it's just following those steps. So how do you become a, a generous person? Become a first-time giver. If you have never given a significant gift before, why not do that today? What do you mean a significant gift? How many zeros do I need to put on that to make it significant enough? I don't know. Because that's different for everybody. I mean, that's between you and the Lord. What's significant for me is not significant for you, maybe. What's significant for my daughter, Abby, who's in fifth grade, probably wouldn't buy me Chick-fil-A this week. You know? But it would be a big deal to her. Our economies are different. I don't know what a significant gift is for you, but you do. If you've never done that before, why not do that today? You know, I'm not, I mean something beyond just taking something out of your wallet or your purse that you won't even notice was gone. You know, kind of like tipping. I, I was at church. I tipped. It was good. Thanks. Thanks for the service. Beyond that, you know, something significant. Think about what are you going to spend on iTunes this week? That would be significant maybe for some of us. What did you spend at the hair salon this month getting your hair done? That would be significant. What do you spend at the gym every month? What do you spend on stuff that, like going out to eat or Starbucks? That's a significant gift. Give something you'll actually notice that you feel like, yeah, I was actually kind of generous. If you've never given before, that's a great place to start. If God is prompting you and he's saying to you, trust me, just try it. Why don't you do that? It's a great place to start. Now, some of you, you've already done this. And so maybe you're ready for the next step. Maybe you're ready to become a regular giver. You know, at some point, you may have felt like, you saw the earthquake in Haiti, and so you contributed to the Red Cross, or you gave to the church here to help the House of Hope or something, or you contributed to the relief effort in Joplin. So you've done the one-time gift, and you've given maybe even a significant gift. Maybe the step for you is to become a regular giver to say, I'm constantly receiving blessings from God in the form of a paycheck or whatever, and so as regularly as I receive blessing from God, I want to turn around and be blessing other people, blessing the Lord through my giving. Whatever regular is for you, do that. If you receive a paycheck every week, maybe regular for you would be giving every week. If it's every biweekly or monthly, do that. Whatever's regular for you, move that way. I understand from our web team and from our finance team, we're just about ready to go live with um, online giving. So if that's something that works for you, you can set it up. It's automatically done. I mean, you're in control of it, but you can set that up and um, just become a regular habitual giver. I would just challenge you to do this. Try giving regularly for three months and see what happens. If at the end of three months and you've given regularly and you go, I have seen no difference in my relationship with God. 
Uh, I think I'm worse off than I was three months ago, and stop. You can say to the Lord, I tried it, it didn't work. I, okay? But I, my challenge is to you, if you're not a regular giver already, try that. Now, for some of you, you have done that, and maybe for you the step would be to become what we call like an obedient giver. What do I mean by that? An obedient giver where you say, I want to try something called tithing. What's a tithe? Some of you know, some of you are like, I don't know. I had somebody, I've had people say to me before, oh yeah, we, we're tithing. We're giving 4% of our income to the Lord. We're tithing. Technically speaking, that's not tithing. I'm, I'm not giving out gold stars anyway. It's not between me and you. It's between you and the Lord. So, okay. But tithing is a technical term that means to take 10% of something. So if you're giving 4%, you're technically not tithing. But it's good. Whatever you start at, that's great. But tithing is taken 10%. It comes from an Old Testament principle where in the Old Testament, people would take a tenth of everything that they had every year and they would bring it to the temple in Jerusalem and they would give it as an offering to the Lord. They would say, the Lord has blessed me. I'm taking 10%. And then the temple would use that to, to maintain the temple and, and to take care of the priests. And it was, all, it was just the way God set things up. There's an Old Testament verse, Malachi 3.10. It says this. It'll be up on the screen. It says, and this is God speaking. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you'll not have enough room for it. For some of you, it may be the time to say, I know it's an Old Testament thing, but I know many, many Christians throughout thousands of years who have used the principle of tithing to kind of guide their generosity. Maybe the time for you is to test God in this, as he's invited you to do, and try tithing. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who've come to me and said, I'm in the worst financial situation of my life, or I'm, I don't know where 10% is going to come from, but I'm going to try this. I'm going to try God, and I'm going to see if this is, you know, is going to work. I can't tell you how many people have come to me and said, wow, I, I tried to outgive God, but he's got a bigger shovel. I have never had somebody come to me and say, I am worse off because I tried diving than I was before I started. I've had lots of people who've come with great fear and trepidation into it, and they've just got wonderful stories of how God provided for all their, their needs. Now, do I mean, like, unfortunately what some pe- preachers on TV and other churches will talk about, like, oh, you just give and you're planting a seed and you're guaranteed to get more. Is that how it works? God is not a slot machine. But God has said you can trust me, and, and your finances are one very quick and easy way to see if you trust the Lord or not. So, I have found in my life personally, we've, we've been tithing since, I'll be very transparent with you. I've been tithing when for me, tithing meant like $1. <laughs> it was a long time. And I have never had a time where the Lord has not taken care of me and my family. You can trust the Lord on this. I would challenge you if you've never tithed or if you've maybe, uh, you maybe are thinking about that, to try this. To just See, pray about it, first of all, see if the Lord's telling you to do it. But to consider taking 10% of what the Lord's given you and say, I'm going to give it back to the Lord. And my encouragement to you would be that just see what you and the Lord can do with 90% instead of you just seeing what you can do with 100% of what you got. There's a church out in Washington State that makes this guarantee to their members. They will tell their members, their pastor will actually stand up and say, we want you to try tithing for, through the end of the year. And if by the end of the year you can honestly say I am not better off than I was before, that the Lord has not taken care of me and provided for my needs and you know, I'm, I'm closer to God. If you can get to the end of the year and say that, that church in Washington State will refund your, their entire offering. They'll do that. Like, just try it. So I want to issue the same challenge to you. 
and I need to find the elders because I haven't bounced this off them yet. I hope this is okay. Would you just try tithing for the next three months? And if you, at the end of three months, you can come to me, look me in the eye and say, oh, look, I did it, and I'm worse off. I'm not closer to the Lord, and the Lord did not provide for my needs. I want you to know this. That church in Washington State will refund every single penny that <laughs> you gave. Now, just, just pray about it. Maybe that's the step that the Lord's calling on you to do. I, can, I could bring people, if, if people were brave enough to do it, I could bring person after person here from Connection Christian Church who could stand up here and say, I did this, it scared me, I'm closer to the Lord than I ever was, and he took care. No matter how big my shovel was, the Lord's shovel, giving it back to me was bigger. I tried to bless the Lord, and he blessed me more. Now, the, the next step for you, some of you say, I have tithed, I've done it for a long time. Maybe the step for you, and this is a big step. Believe me, if you're at step one, don't look at step four yet. But maybe for you, the step is to say, I want to become an extravagant giver. I find great joy in, you know, just going up to the line 10%, but that's not enough. I, I see the need, and I want to go more, and, and I'm willing to give up this or do that or whatever, or, and, I'll give here to, and I'll give to other needs that I hear about, and I'll bless other people because I just I find joy in giving. Maybe you say that. I want to be an extravagant giver. I want you just, I want to be very honest with you and up front. In our Cannonball initiative here, for us to fully meet our goal, we really do need some people who become extravagant givers. A lot of us maybe to say, I want to go beyond what I'm doing now and just give extravagantly and trust the Lord. And again, it's up to you and the Lord, but what is the Lord asking you to do? Here's something I found, and you will find as you progress on the pathway of generosity, it changes the way you pray. It really does. You may start praying something like this. You may pray something like, God, what do you want me to do with my stuff? You know, I've got my stuff. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to give with my, my money, my stuff? But you find over time your prayer starts shifting to this. God, what do you want me to do with your stuff? <coughs> you start to acknowledge, you know what? This isn't really my stuff. The Lord gave it to me, and I'm, I need to manage it well, but it's really his stuff, not mine. Like what it says in Psalm 24.1, it says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. You start to realize it's not my stuff. It's God's stuff. He's given me it to me to bless me. It's for my enjoyment, but he's also given it to me so that I can bless other people and take care of other people. <coughs> Excuse me. When you start praying prayers like that, it guards against what Moses warned the people of Israel about in Deuteronomy. This is Deuteronomy 8. It, it says here, and Moses telling the people of Israel, he says, if you start thinking to yourselves, I did all this all by myself, I'm rich, it's all mine, well, think again. Remember that God, your God, gave you the strength to produce all this wealth. It's God's stuff. He's the one who gave you the ability to earn money, not you. I actually honestly love praying prayers like that. I love saying, God, it's your stuff because, you know, it's not my car. It's God's car. And so I can pray, you know what, Lord? Your car is going to need new brakes soon. What are we going to do about this? It's your house, Lord. Your house needs a new roof. What are we going to it's mine to use and to enjoy and to manage, but how can I use the stuff that the Lord's given me right now temporarily to bless other people? You know, it's why Jesus prayed and, and well, actually taught us in Matthew 6.24. He just warned us. He said, you know, you cannot serve two masters. You can't serve uh, God and money. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. You've got to choose which one you're going to serve with your life. Which, which is it? So as we learn to be generous, our prayers shift yet again. It's not just, God, what do you want me to do with your stuff? It becomes, God, how much of your stuff do you want me to give? 
And then even over time, as you walk down the pathway of generosity, you stop praying, God, how much of your stuff do you want me to give? And you start praying, God, how much of your stuff do you want me to keep? You see the shift there? Now hear me on this. I want you to hear my heart completely here. I don't care what you give. It's none of my business. I care about your heart. And Jesus says, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. And so I really do care. God doesn't want your stuff. Hear me on that. If God wanted your stuff, he could take it anytime he wanted to. He doesn't need your permission to do that, does he? God wants your stuff. He says, hey, it's my stuff. I'll take it back. What God wants is your heart, and that's so much harder. As we talk about all this and as we pray here in a moment, I just want you to start thinking about where is my heart? What can I do to open my heart to God to learn to be a more generous person like my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is generous? the one who gave up everything so that we could have salvation. How can I be like that? Even in the worst of times financially, even in the worst of economies, how can I be a generous person who looks to, to the Lord and says, I trust you and I'll do whatever you want with your stuff. Would you stand with me? Would you pray right now? Father, we do love you. That's why we're here this morning. We've come here to worship you. We, we acknowledge that everything we have is a gift from you that you've given to us for our enjoyment that you've also given to us so that we can in turn bless other people. Will you help us to be generous? Will you help us to open our hearts to what it is that you would have us do with your stuff? Will you help us to see a bigger picture of what eternity looks like and how the life that we live right here is just like a dot compared to eternity? Will you help us to get a vision and a glimpse of what can really matter and what's really significant and help us to stop chasing things that just don't really matter? Will you help us to love people like you love them? Will you help us to love you in a way that's right, more than our stuff? Father, this morning I pray too for anybody in here who is coming to a realization that you do love them. I pray that you would help them to respond appropriately to that love that we would submit our hearts to your son, Jesus Christ, that in every way we would look to you for, for salvation. So I pray this morning that you just move us to do what's the right next step. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm glad you all came today. Um, really good to see you. If you're here for the first time, welcome. And I want you to know as a guest, just what we're talking about here, you get to see our heartbeat and what, uh, what's important to us at Connection, but don't feel like there's any obligation for you. You can just participate at whatever level you want to. I do want to talk to you a little bit more about our cannonball because I've had some questions and I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page about this. I want to first of all thank you because last week I handed out this little card and I didn't explain it. And thank you all for not saying, Brian, you're an idiot. I appreciate that instead of that, you all like try to figure out what it was. So I want to just talk about a little bit about what we're doing. In two weeks, we're asking you to bring this card back and the only thing that you bring on Commitment Sunday is this card there's a little circle on the card. I don't know if you've got this in your folder. It's up on the screen, I believe. Yeah. So this is like, it's like a worksheet for you to work through what you're going to do as we jump into Cannonball. You may want two of these. You can use one as your worksheet, and then the one that you actually turn in, there's only one thing that needs to be on it, and that's the number in the circle there. I, nobody needs to see what like you do on the worksheet or any of that. That's between you and the Lord. But what our, what our uh, elders will do is they will take the commitments that come in on this card and we'll see how close we are to our cannonball goal of two years, one million dollars. Now, that's where this card comes in. If you're trying to figure out what do I put in that circle, understand this circle is, this is what, Lord willing, I plan to give over the next two years. 
So if you've got like this amount in mind for one year, you multiply it by two, that's the number that goes in the circle. How do you get that? How do we get to a million dollars? Our financial coach who's talking to our church about how we achieve this goal uh, gave us one possible pathway to a million dollars over two years. That's this little card. I told him that we probably could expect 75 families in our church who will participate in Cannonball. That could be plus or minus, but it's kind of a good number to start off of. So if you look on the left column, those numbers there, like 1, 2, 4, 8, 10, all that adds up to 75. So th those represent families in our church. And uh, so the number one, the top one, he said, there might be one family in your church over the next two years who will give $100,000. And so that's 10% of your goal right there. You all can rest easy. Apparently, my daughter Abby has committed our family to the $100,000 <laughs> I don't know how we're going to do that, but we're trusting the Lord, right? That's between us. So there may be a family who get that's just, this is one possible way. There may be like 10 families in our church who said, over the next two years, I will give $10,000, $5,000 a year, whatever form that takes. Maybe it's regular giving, maybe it's a one-time gift, it all adds up to 10. So what you do is you look at this chart, and you look at it, and you go, where do I feel comfortable? And I know some of you are going, like, there's no zero on there. Where's mine? No. You look at that and you go, over two years, what is it that maybe our family together could do to be part of this cannonball commitment? And maybe you look at, and that's what this worksheet on this is for. You look at what you're doing right now. Maybe you take your giving statement from last year and you say, here's what we did last year, and you write that down. And then you think, well, what could the Lord maybe call us to do above and beyond that? Is there anything that we want to maybe sell or do different or give up so that we can contribute and go all in for cannonball? So you figure out what that amount is. You multiply by two. You've got the amount. Maybe you look at the card and you go, okay, there's my amount. Here's my challenge for you as you pray. And uh, believe me, I'm going to push you a little bit on this, but it's between you and the Lord at the end of the day. You find that amount on here that you're comfortable with, go one line or even two lines above that and start praying about that number. Again, and I've had, I've had some people who ask, and believe me, I've wondered this too, what do you do if we, we don't get like $1 million commitment over the next two years? What happens? We're, we're in the Lord's hand. Look, look at where we've come so far. The Lord's taking care of us. All it means if we don't have our $1 million commitment over two years is that maybe we just go a little bit slower into some things. We've already thought all of this through. But right now the time for us to do is just to simply pray over the next two weeks coming into Commitment Sunday, Lord, with all the things you bless me with, what do you think I should do with your stuff? That's all this is. There's no pressure. There's no manipulation. This is a way for you to pray through and think, Lord, what together in my church family could we do to help this succeed? So there you go. That's what the little card means. That's what this card means. Two Sundays from now, Commitment Sunday, March 17th. Bring your journey stone, as Brian said. Bring your commitment card. If you're like already knowing, I'm going to be out of town March 17th, we will do this again on March 24th. So you'll have an opportunity to participate in that. Right now, the time is just for us to pray together as a church family. Lord, what could happen? What could happen if we all do this together? What do you think about that? Right now, we're going to close our service out with a song, so would you stand up, please, as Brian leads us in this last song.